listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode three of the Believe in Dog podcast. Thank you so much for your patience with me. It took me a little longer to get this episode out than I had originally anticipated. For some reason, I am a crazy person who decided to launch my podcast at what turned out to be the busiest time of my year at my day job. But luckily, things have calmed down some now. And also, I'm I'm kind of new to all of this and to editing and recording and things, so it probably takes me a little longer to work on things than it should. I'm really excited about my guest today, Michelle Soraki of the Brew City Bully Club. I think you're really going to enjoy her story. And before we get started with the interview, I wanted to take a couple minutes to give you a little bit of background and context about one of the topics we're going to be talking about with Michelle. About dogfighting, or more precisely, the dogs who are the victims of dogfighting. It makes me a little uncomfortable to talk about it, actually, and I don't know if it's just because I'm extra sensitive because I have dogs that are considered pit bull dogs, but I don't like to acknowledge or in any way promote that sort of stereotype because there's millions of dogs that people call pit bulls that are living every day with their families, and they're just dogs like any other dogs. So in the context that I'm talking about dogfighting today, I'm talking about the highly organized dogfighting the kind that people travel from different states to attend events. I can't even really say that with a straight face or without gagging in my mouth a little bit. But the kind where there's a lot of money involved, not the kind where there's two dudes on a corner who just want to see what'll happen. Obviously, any kind of dogfighting is illegal. Thank goodness it's a felony now in all 50 states. That wasn't true for a while. And it's now even a felony just to attend and be a spectator at any sort of animal fighting event. But if you're like me, and you're really more concerned about what happens to the animals who are involved, who are the victims of all of this, if it was before 2007, I can basically tell you that the dogs were killed. That's right, the innocent victims were killed. It used to seem so nonsensical to me, and almost such a complete disgusting irony that you would have all of these organizations working so hard to combat and end dogfighting just so they could kill the dogs. I mean, it sort of almost seemed sadistic or backwards or what the hell is going on here? I guess the prevailing thought and logic at the time was that the dogs had been too traumatized and were not able to be saved. They would be too violent. They had been treated too badly. The kindest thing that we could do is to euthanize them. It would make me wonder whether the people spouting these types of ideas had ever even spent five minutes around dogs. But finally, in 2007, this started to change. As you may remember, there was a really high-profile dogfighting bust involving one of the most popular NFL players at the time. I'm not even actually going to say his name here because the dog's story is not his story, and the dog's story belongs to them alone. I'm borrowing a little bit of wording here from the Bad Rap organization and the point of view that they have shared online because I totally identify and agree with it 100%. But because this was such a high-profile person, the media was involved and people started to get invested into what was going to happen to the dogs that were rescued from this situation. And while the big-name organizations, you know, the ones with the big budgets and the tear-jerking Sarah McLaughlin commercials, were saying that the dogs should be euthanized because we can't trust them, they're too traumatized, we, the kindest thing that we can do is to put them out of their misery like we always have, we'll do what we've always done. There were a few brave souls who were stepping up in the media and saying, no, 
It's time to try something new. It's time to evaluate these dogs and see if we can save some lives. And the people that I'm aware of who were so outspokenly taken this brave new stance were Tim and Donna Racer of the Bad Rap Organization in California and the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Utah. And there was a lot of legal wrangling involved, but in the end, 51 dogs that had been rescued from the Bad News Kennel operation were evaluated and only one was euthanized because of behavior and one more had to be euthanized due to medical issues. But the other dogs went on to be known as the Victory Dogs. And in addition to Bad Rap and Best Friends, there were several other organizations from around the country who stepped up to help with the rescue and rehabilitation of these dogs. Some of the dogs went on to be therapy dogs. Some of them have really popular Facebook pages. But they have all been a true testament to the capacity of resilience and forgiveness to which these dogs are capable of. And I have so much respect and admiration for the people who spoke up and said, no, let's try something different. Let's do something different. And for all the people that made that possible. I guess that's a good analogy for the type of person I am in general, though. I don't always agree that we should just always do what we always did. If something doesn't make sense to me, I'm always open to trying new things and doing new things. And sometimes that does cause me problems in life. So now, if we fast forward to 2009... In July of 2009, the largest dogfighting bust ever in the U.S. took place. There were 26 people arrested across eight states and over 400 dogs rescued from this operation. This is actually known as the Missouri 500. The 500 comes because so many of the female dogs were pregnant that by the time they all had puppies, there was well over 500 dogs who had been rescued from the situation. It was the Humane Society of Missouri who basically in 24 hours set up a pop-up animal shelter to house the 500 dogs. Animal advocates from around the country volunteer their time and pay their own way to go and help care for these 500 dogs. And one of those volunteers is my guest today. But before we get to the interview, I did want to make sure that I mentioned that These big national organizations who, in 2007, were against the idea of rescue and rehabilitation of these canine victims of dogfighting, they actually came around. They evolved, and they helped make the rescue of the Missouri 500 dogs possible. And then in 2013, when the second biggest dogfighting bust took place, rescuing 367 dogs, they helped make the rescue and rehabilitation of those dogs possible also. And specifically with the Humane Society of the United States, they created a whole new initiative for their organization called End Dog Fighting, which was a community-based program that included everything from humane education programs in schools, providing veterinary care in communities, to programs teaching dog training in underserved communities to encourage new ways for people to have fun with their dogs. This program has now evolved and is called Pets for Life. But in the early days of this initiative, the organization I volunteer with, Be More Dog, we were getting some resources from the end dog fighting people about how to start some of these programs and initiatives in our community. And at the same time, Michelle Soraki, our guest today, was also reaching out to the Humane Society of the U.S. because she was starting similar programs in Milwaukee. So we had connected all the way back in 2010 or 2011 and and have been following each other's programs and cheerleading each other's efforts on ever since. So let's get started with Michelle Soraki of the Brew City Bully Club in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Also, I do want to note that I'm in Baltimore and Michelle is in Milwaukee, so we did a web-based recording and there are a couple times during the interview where the audio is not quite as clean because the internet got a little wonky. So please bear with me. It's only a couple times for a few seconds, and I hope it doesn't distract from your listening too much. I'll talk to Michelle about how her dog Capone and a Craigslist ad changed her life forever and led to the founding of the Brew City Bully Club. We'll talk about Michelle's experiences volunteering with the Missouri 500 dogs, And then we'll talk about Brew City Bully Club's advocacy and owner support work, as well as some of their unique and creative events. So let's get started. Hi, Michelle. Hi. 
Thanks so much for being here today. I'm really excited to hear your story. And first, I wanted to start off by asking, were you a dog person as a child? Were you always an animal person growing up? Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. And um, I absolutely um, was a was a dog person, was a was an animal person um, as long as as I can remember. Um, but I was allergic to dogs as a child, so I wasn't um, able to have my own. So I'm hoping that you're not allergic anymore. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, well, when I got into high school and um, and ha- had a new friend that had a dog and went over to her house and found out that as I was interacting with that dog that it didn't give me hives and it didn't make me itch. And I don't know how that happened, but somewhere between being about five and probably around 15, um, that, that allergy went away and, um, and thank God that it did. (laughs) So when did you then get your first own personal dog? I got my first dog. It was a Rottweiler that I named Onyx and sad, sadly, but, but happily, um, we got him on nine 11 actually. Um, we probably should have named him Liberty or, or, you know, something like that. But, um, but we named him, him Onyx. He was a, obviously a big black Rottweiler. So that was my very, my very first dog that I had. And then, um, about a year later was when I got my second dog, um, which is the dog that, that, that changed my whole life, um, named Capone. And how did Capone then come into your life? This is where we, we start losing people on the podcast. I didn't adopt him. I did everything, everything wrong, um, that I possibly could, um, especially as, as a, a person, um, becoming a, a pit bull owner. And I'm okay with that now. I've learned, um, I've learned an awful lot since, since 2002 and have grown. And I, and I, you know, it, it really helped me to solidify my belief in the fact that, that people can, can grow and, and learn and, and change and, and make mistakes and, 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 and then not make them again. So, um, Capone came into our life because we were looking for, um, I was pregnant and we were looking for an athletic, fun family dog. And somehow in 2002, we did an internet search and came up with, with the fact that, that a pit bull would be a really good dog, um, to add to our family. So we actually, um, we actually got him, got him from, um, a breeder that, that was local, um, you know, in our, in our area in, in Milwaukee. And, and I feel bad about that now, but I think it was all, I think it was all part of, um, the growing process for me and it's kind of how we needed to start out. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I know as someone involved in the rescue community, that might not be easy for you to say, but I am definitely someone who believes in growing and evolving and changing and, and saying, Hey, I might not do it that way again in the future. And even our dogs are willing to learn new tricks, right? Yeah. And so while I'm a huge rescue and adoption advocate, I'm also not going to give you any judgment about that decision you made years ago. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's, the, the world's a hard place sometimes, but I have a very different message now than what I, than what I would have had back then. So it's good. And so how did having Capone in your life lead to you then starting the Brew City Bully Club? That, um, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting turn of events. So, so we got him in 2002 and, um, and he was just a little, a little baby boy. And, um, I was pregnant, like I said, our, my, my in-laws, um, were incredibly, incredibly upset about the fact that we had gotten a pit bull and they didn't talk to us for two years. Um, I was having their own, yeah, I was having their only grandchild, first and only grandchild because we were, we were getting a pit bull. They, they didn't talk to us. Um, my parents, honestly, my parents first words were, aren't you afraid it's going to eat the baby? 
And, and it's just really, you know, it's just really sad, man. It's just a really sad thing. But when my folks met Capone and so, like I said, he was just this little floppy eared, you know, puppy, um, silly, big pod little guy. And my dad said, this is what all the problem is about. And I said, yeah, dad, this is, this is what all the problem is about. So we, you know, so we lived day by day and we lived, um, in the suburb of, of Milwaukee, um, a nice suburb of, of Milwaukee. And we would be out walking Capone with, um, with our baby Bella in the stroller and people would swear at us and people would tell us, um, what bad parents we were and would yell at us. And, um, we would take Bella to the park and the, the whole park would clear out um, because of Capone. And, and at first she really liked that cause she could play on whatever she wanted to play on because she'd be, <laughs> um, so she was loving it. But, but honestly, then she got to be about five and she, um, she verbalized to me at one point, she said, mama, I don't want to bring Capone to the park anymore. And I said, Oh baby, why? And she said, well, because everybody leaves and I, I want to make a friend. And I was just, I was just heartbroken for her. And then, um, yeah, and, and she couldn't, I mean, you know, it was her dog, it was her buddy and, um, they were growing up together and, and I felt really bad for him because Capone, um, was, was one of those, uh, pit bull type dogs that for me is the epitome of, of really what, um, a pit bull type dog is. You know, he, he was just gushingly friendly and, and, and overly eager to meet people and, and to, um, become your friend. And so it was just, it was just really, really sad. Um, the part of Capone that was not overly eager and gushingly excited was the part about meeting other animals. Um, Capone had developed some some very concerning aggression toward animals, you know, toward um, squirrels and toward other dogs, and he was just not a fan. He was he was he was a people dog. He wasn't a dog dog, and then that. Um, problem when we started to try to solve that problem in early 2008 that is when um everything everything really really changed like we were having all these problems being owners with him and it was really hard and we felt really isolated and really alone but we started to seek out um, trainers to help us to re-socialize him and we would get hung up on and we would get sworn at more and we would get told that there was room in class until they asked what kind of dog he was and when we said a pit bull they would say oh I, I was wrong we don't have any room in class and so in in August of 2008 as kind of a really last ditch effort and and people have to remember that are listening to this right now in 2008 Craigslist wasn't gross it was still like kind of new and and it and it really it was it was really like like kind of pure and so um so in august of 2008 we we put a post out on craigslist and we asked people if they could help us that we had a a dog aggressive pit bull and that we wanted to re-socialize him and was there anybody that could help us that was our ad and we we received um almost 80 replies in less than three days to that ad and not one of those replies was was offering to help us not one every single reply was a was an individual cry for help of its own it was, it was almost like they saw help in the title and they just replied and they said, my pit bull's eating my socks. Can you help me? My, my pit bull is, um, is pregnant. Can you help me? Um, my pit bull, um, can't walk down the street. Can you help me? Um, we even had people that said my pit bull doesn't like other dogs. Can you help me? Like it was, it was just amazing. It was, it was just amazing. And so my, my, my husband, he was a teacher. And, um, so it was just in his natural, um, he, he just, he tried to answer every single ad. He researched every single question and then tried to offer some sort of 
solution to, to every single problem. And I just sat on that for about a week. And, um, and a week later I, I just said, I need to put another ad out. I just want to see what happens if we put out another ad. And so I, I completely lied. I, I have to be honest. I completely lied in the second ad. And I said that we were pit bull owners that were looking to have a play date. Would anyone like to have a play date with us? Um, this was one week later and we got almost the exact same amount of replies still in only just a couple of days. And three people were saying that they wanted to have a play date. So now we had almost 150 cries for help from people with Pitbull type dogs in the greater Milwaukee area. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, I just, I just, I just thought I, you know, we, we have to do something like it just, it was so overwhelming, you know, that there was just really no, there's no way that you could just turn around and walk away from that. And so, um, that really was the moment that the Bruce city bully club was born. Wow. I think that that is such a beautiful story that you guys would see the, the need in the community and say, we, we have to help these people. Um, I know sometimes people post an ad on Craigslist and when you get a response that isn't what you're looking for, it's just delete, delete, delete. And so I think it really speaks, you know, to the kind of, of person that you are, that, that your response is, Hey, I, I want to help all these people. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that. I don't, I, I don't know if there would have been 10 replies if I would have, if I would have felt like that, but, um, 150 some people really over the course of six different days. I mean, like that's, you, you know, it, it's just, you can't ignore it. And you know, that that's just a drop in the bucket. That's just the people who saw the ad decided to respond. Not even the people that didn't see the ads or the people that were too, you know, were like, Oh, they probably can't help me. I'm not going to say anything anyway. You know, those were just the people that were bold enough and having a, a, enough of a problem that, that they were just desperate. Those, those were the desperate people, but thank you. I mean, it just, it was, it was definitely, God, God put that in, in our lap and I just, I can't say no to God. So, <laughs> wow. You're really making me realize exactly how much more pit bull friendly the city of Baltimore is compared to Milwaukee. While not every single person you ever encounter is going to love pit bulls. I think ever since I've been involved in the animal welfare community, since also coincidentally 2008, there have been at least a few other rescues or other organizations who were pit bull friendly. So were there any organizations in the Milwaukee area at that time who were pit bull friendly? No, 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 there were none. There still are, are still 11 years later. There are very, very few, but, um, in, in 2008, there was literally no one even really doing pit bull rescue. The, the, our, our community was just so, um, which, which, you know, was obviously why there was, why there was maybe such a, such a problem, um, such a overwhelming response to, to those, to those Craigslist posts. But no, I, I, I don't really, I don't really know why. Um, honestly, there's a lot going on in Chicago, you know, just the South of us and, and, um, you know, even Minnesota, um, you know, just to the West of us has, has always had a little bit of a representation, but, but no, there, there really wasn't. And it was a hard thing. Um, because when we started the organization, um, we were really committed to, to trying to be a solution to the problems. You know, what we did is we really, we really analyzed the problems that were posed to us in those 150 replies and found that, you know, spay and neuter was, uh, was a huge problem that, that, that people needed help getting their dogs spayed and neutered and that, um, accidental litters were a huge problem. And we found out that, um, 
you know, training and, and support for owners that don't know how to manage their dogs appropriately, you know, low cost options for that was really, really important. These people were having a lot of behavioral issues with, with their dogs and it was certainly not helping the community to feel confident. You know, I mean, you know, people are, people can be really, really frightened of, of pimple type dogs. And so these folks that, that couldn't walk their dog, you know, because it was dragging them down the street. Well, that certainly isn't helping the, the perception. So we really wanted to form an organization that would, would be eventually a more longer term solution. So while we resolved that we would do a little bit of rescue because man, how do you not, you know, especially since there wasn't any, anyone else doing rescue here. Um, while we, while we said we would do a little bit of it, we've, we've always maintained for the last 11 years that we're an advocacy, you know, resource education driven organization that does a little bit of rescue. So, um, when people are like, "Oh, are you guys a rescue?" We're like, "No, <laughs> no, we do a little bit of a little bit of rescue." But and I have the utmost respect for rescues for rescues out there, and of course, you know that that's needed. But but we just needed to take a little bit of a different angle because, um, especially with the treatment that that we had gotten for those first six years too, of you know people walking across the street because they were afraid to walk past us. On, on the sidewalk and, and people um, shouting obscenities and, and whatnot. To me, that, that needed to change. I felt so bad for those folks that lived in such fear of an of a unknown animal that, you know, that just looked a certain way. Like, I, I just... I just felt like that must be an awful, an awful way to, to live. And I really wanted to help those folks to, to overcome feeling that, that way, you know, when they see a pit bull type dog and, um, and, and then help owners to, to, to see that that's really what our, our, I don't like to use the word enemy, but our, our enemy in pit bull advocacy is it's not hate. People think that it's hate. It's not hate. It's fear. We wanted to have an organization that would help get people past some of that fear and be able to appreciate these beautiful animals for, for what they really are and, and can be. Wow, that's such a good point about fear versus hate. So when you started in 2008, was it just you and your husband or was there a group of you? I kind of live by like a go big or go home theme. And, um, I had started a, an insurance agency about 10 years before this. And so I was like, all right, I know how to start a company, you know, like legit, uh, legit that day we were like, okay, we're going to start an organization. So that's really what we did. I mean, we, we incorporated, got all of our legal ducks in a row. And in October, so that was in, in September of 2008, we became, um, a registered, company. And, um, in October of 2008, we just threw an enormous party and, um, called it our, our kickoff and, uh, about 80 random people from the community showed up at, at this, at this event, which was amazing. And there we were able to meet, you know, some other people, you know, other people that needed help. And then other people that, um, really needed help, but were also really passionate and wanted to help in, in the organization. So we, we were never, we, we were never really, really alone. Um, it, it's kind of funny because I, I say things on, on social media and in like our e-news and whatnot about how we're family. And I really feel like that is, is, is what Bruce City Relay Club is, has been like from the beginning is just kind of this big, Pitbull family or something. I don't know. I don't know how to how to explain it, but um, the support that that we have gotten and the people that that have just given so much of their time and talent and 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 money and and everything is it's just been it's just been unreal for the last for the last eleven years. That's really wonderful. There's definitely something to be said about the ability of dogs to help connect us and help us find our tribe, or at least that's been my experience. I don't know if it's just with pit bull people or if it's with anyone who likes the same kind of dog, 
but having dogs has definitely connected me to more of my kind of people and helped me find my kind of tribe and the kind of people that share the kind of philosophy I have in life also. So I get that. And so jumping ahead now to 2009, one of the things I have just been so curious to ask you about is your experience with the Missouri 500 dogs. How did you get involved in volunteering and what was that experience like? Yes, we we had met a, a local woman who had an overwhelming passion for um, dog fighting survivors and for educating people about dog fighting and finding a way to eradicate it and, and, and whatnot. And she turned me on to the like ability to put in Google like something that you always want to, um, you know, that you want to get news on every single day or, or whatever. Right, like a Google alert. And so um, it actually popped up in my in my dog fighting um, news feed a couple days after it happened. It was July eighth of two thousand and nine. You know, read as much as I could about it, and then. Um, I mean, this was obviously unprecedented. Um, it was really the, the only dog fighting bus since the, the Michael Vick dog fighting bus. It was unprecedented. I mean, it, there was, you know, Michael Vick's dog fighting bus had 63 dogs in it, and this had 400 and some dogs that, um, you know, were, were confiscated from a handful of different properties in six different states. You know, they, they rounded up all of these dogs in 10 hours and, and took them to um, a warehouse-made shelter over 24 hours. And they made this warehouse into a shelter in St. Louis. And I guess it was just one of those one of those moments, again, where, where you're just like, I can't turn my back on this. So I just contacted the Humane Society in Missouri, which was who was handling this case and just asked how to help. And um, they gave us a list of supplies that they needed and <laughs> said that they needed people. And so we did a supply drive as a as an organization, and we ended up taking a full pickup truck and, and towed a trailer that was also full of supplies that the generous people of Milwaukee had donated and just went down um, about 11 days after the bus and just yeah, we just we just got there and 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 unpacked and said, "Here we are, use us." Um, it was a life changing. It was a life changing experience, to say the least. You know, there's there's so many people that still to this day haven't heard about that about the dog being bust, and it still is the largest. Um, there was another dog being bust in um, August of 2013. They took 367 dogs out of now known as the Alabama 367. But um, you know, this Missouri buster they have 400 and some dogs, and in 60 days, you know, the incubation period, they had about 120 puppies. So, so there was over 500 dogs, and and it was um, I guess there's really no other word for it except it was it was an it was an it was an awesome not not necessarily in the traditional sense of how we think of awesome as being good, but it was an awesome as in it just struck you with awe to be part of of that, the, the, the barking, um, I took a, uh, I recorded a clip of, of barking. Um, you know, it was just, you know, your ears got used to it after you were there for, you know, a half hour, hour or whatever, but just the barking of 500 dogs is, um, it's just amazing, you know? So, um, but we, we worked really hard and, uh, then I went down once a month for the next six months. And as an organization, we ended up bringing four of those dogs back. People ask me all the time, and it's something that I, that I talk about in common council meetings for, for breed dis uh, discriminatory legislation as often as I can. People ask me all the time, you know, Michelle, what, what were those dogs like when you got there? Because, because honestly, Aaron, Honestly, if there were any dogs that should have lived up to the media portrayal of what pitbull type dogs are supposed to be, right? That that they're that they're inherently dangerous and that and that they're mean and, 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 and that they're ugly and, 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 and that type of thing. If there were any dogs on the planet that ever should have lived up to that, it was these dogs because because these dogs were not given any other life. This was the most, it was the deepest dog fighting line that, that we've ever, ever, ever found. It had been going on for, for over 50 years. So these dogs, you know, people get worried about like their dogs being stolen for dog fighting or dogs being sold on Craigslist for dog fighting. There was none of that. This was all, this was all done from within. 
and the, these dogs were bred into a life of, of, of dog fighting and they died in a life of dog fighting and they never knew a moment of anything else but aggressive behavior and, and aggressive training and aggressive um, lifestyle. They never, ever, they never knew a touch of love or uh, an ounce of love or a toy or, or anything. They just knew isolation and, and abuse and, and fighting and that's it. So, so if any dog, if any dog should have lived up to it, it should have been these 500 and they didn't, you know, they, they just didn't. So I got there and the first day that I got there and I walked through a sea of crates of hundreds of dogs and it was just dog after dog after dog that was at the front of their crate with their mouth wide open and their tongue hanging out and their tail wagging. And, you know, some of them were so starved of love and attention that they, that they could barely even contain themselves in those crates. And there were definitely others that were scared. Um, I worked particularly with 30 some dogs that were absolutely just broken spirited. They were so scared of humans and humans had done such bad things to them and they still welcomed me and welcomed my touch and welcomed me into their crate to have them come out so that we could clean it. The sheltering went on for about seven months and um, each of those dogs had to be interacted with at least twice a day, once in the morning for crate cleaning and once in the evening for crate cleaning and, and obviously for feeding. So everybody had to be touched and handled at least twice a day. And then there also was DNA testing done on every single dog. And then there also was obviously like medical throughout seven months that had to be done. So there was roughly about 300,000-ish interactions with these dogs. And there were three bites. Three. Three. One happened the first day. One happened the very first day by a champion dog that was very unhappy with his life and was very, very good at his job. And that's why he was a champion. And so that was one of them. Um, and then th there was another one that was actually one of those dogs that was in my section. Her name was Bunny. And you knew every day. You knew that there was just, it was inevitable. She was absolutely horrified. She was so, it was so sad that she even had to be put through that. And after six months, um, she finally bit the bet and, you know, God bless her for holding off for six months. You know, I mean, she was absolutely horrified. So when legislators or, or when people or when whoever, when they want to come to me and they just want to say, you know, these dogs are just bad and they're just, and they're just, they're, they're genetically, they're inherently. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I've seen the genetics. I have seen, I have touched, I have felt, I've experienced the genetics firsthand of dogs that should live up to what you're talking about. And, um, and I just, I, I'm sorry, I witnessed, I witnessed something completely different. Michelle, wow. Thank you so much. That was so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I was almost in tears at a couple different points. <laughs> I've never heard somebody, um, talk about it quite like that before and I just I really appreciate you sharing that with me and my audience uh I'm going to record and give a little bit of background before you and I start our interview on the actual episode so that I can share with people the significance and the importance of the Missouri 500 and the 367 who followed after that and how none of those dogs would have even ever had a chance if it hadn't been for the brave people and organizations who stepped up um, with the victory dogs. And I just feel like that's uh, something really significant. And, and I really appreciate you sharing that with us today. Well, it's my, it's like, like really, really, really my pleasure to be able to, to be able to share it because the more that we, the more that we talk about it and the more folks that get an opportunity to learn about it, the better the, the situation for these dogs. You know, all of these dogs now are from, from you know, almost anywhere um, that there are dog fighting busts. You know, now they're, they're 
evaluated so much, much more often, especially if, if the ASPCA, you know, gets involved in, and Humane Society of the United States and, and whatnot, um, you know, then they're really, really getting a chance. And that's just an enormous, enormous, huge win for the dogs and, and you know, for the movement. Yes, I completely agree. So now switching gears, I was on the website for Brew City Bully Club and you guys have so much going on. It's so exciting. It must have been quite a journey over this past, you know, decade or more. Uh, can you tell us about the different programs uh, that you have going on right now? Yeah, it, it has been an incredible uh, an incredible journey. We have learned so much and I read um, several books, you know, early on in, in this nonprofit journey and all of them said that you were supposed to pick one thing and, and do one thing and, and, and do it until you die and do it the best you can. And we do like a million things. So apparently I, I didn't learn very well from any of those books, but, but we've tried over the years though, to, to fine tune our programming. It's just, it's just so hard when the, when there's so many different needs and in, in so many different areas. And so we're really, really focusing on advocacy and education Moving forward, we're we're actually re redoing. Um, we're in the process of, of having a brand new website be be built. So I, I actually kind of apologize for what you've seen on our website right now because it certainly isn't where where we want to be. But by the end of the year, we're going to have a fantastic um, new website that's going to offer people that visited a lot more um, a lot more resources and a lot more education to be able to do some things on their own, such as more, more areas that'll talk about rehoming and, and how they can rehome their own dog because, you know, shelters are so overwhelmed with, with intake. Um, and it just gets worse and worse and worse, especially in these last couple of years, it's just been amazing. The, the intake numbers that have went up around the country. Um, so we're going to give people some really cool resources and advice about rehoming their own dog and about what to do if you come upon a stray dog in your community and like how important it is to get that dog, um, scanned for a microchip. You know, sometimes people think, that dogs are lost because they have bad owners, but good owners lose dogs too, man. Like really good owners, they have, they have accidents too. And, you know, somewhere, you know, somebody's probably really missing that dog. And so we've, we were going to have some really neat information about, about that and, um, and dive into really teaching people how to become better advocates themselves and what works in advocacy and, and what doesn't work in advocacy. And some of the lessons that I have taken away from the last almost 20 years that I've been, um, working on, on helping people to get past their, their fear, their, their discriminatory thought. So, so we're really excited for the new resource-driven website. We also, we have a, a property uh, that we call the Rescue Retreat. It, um, we got it in, in 2016, and it was a wolf sanctuary uh, before we got here for about 40 years. So there is really, really tall and really well-secured fencing everywhere. It's almost too much fencing even for, for what we need, but it came like that. So it's, it's pretty cool. So, because so, each wolf, you know, lived in, in their own, you know, kind of enclosure and whatnot. So one of our favorite things to do with the property is um, we have uh, health clinics here, low to no cost health clinics in our program called Pups for Life. And so once a month from May to October, we offer people, you know, um, low cost distemper and rabies and microchips, and free collars and leeches and blankets and some food and, and um, behavioral advice and, and just love. And instead of though being in this big long line um, at a, a typical shot clinic and, and your dog having all of this anxiety and there's dogs everywhere and there's barking everywhere, we check them in and they get to go in their own enclosure and then they get to go off of their leash and like play ball or just run around or, or sniff while they're waiting for the vet because 
you know, the, there's a lot of waiting that goes on at, at, at health clinics. So it's just, it's just, uh, it's just really, really neat. And if you, if you visit our Facebook page, there's a lot of, of really great photo documentation of, of those health clinics. I'm really proud of the fact that we're able to, to do something like that. One of the other kind of unique things that we do because of the property, because of the, um, the rescue retreat is this thing called dog days. And so, on several different days of the week, people can make an appointment and they can come and they'll have the, the whole place to themselves. So it's a little over an acre. And again, like I said, it, it's it's got 10 and 12 foot fencing everywhere. Like there's nobody getting out. So we've heard from these owners, you know, some of these dogs haven't been off leash in like years, which is just crazy. You know, they live, you know, in a place where they don't have a fenced in yard or where they don't they live in an apartment where they don't really have a yard at all, or they have problems with, you know, humans, you know, where they're not real fans of humans or they have problems with other animals and, and they can't really be off leash around that or whatever. So, so people have found dog days that they bring their dog here and have watched them run unleashed for, you know, a half an hour for the first time in, in years sometimes. And so we're just, we're so blessed and we're so thankful to, to be able to offer that um, option for people. And we kind of talk down about dog parks a little bit at Bruce City, you know, they're, they're, they, they can be a real tricky place to, to have your dog, especially if your dog is a, is a pit bull type dog, because, um, if anything bad happens, you're, you're going to be in big trouble, whether it was really your fault or not. So to be able to offer, you know, for years, um, from 2008 until 2016, we would tell people not to go to dog parks and they'd say, well, then what should we do? And we were like, we have no idea. <laughs> like, we yeah. got nothing. You know, it was just, it was really sad and, and awful. And then come 2016, we were finally like, oh my gosh, you can come here. You know, this is, this is great. You know, now you can really stay away from the dog park. And, and we've had like dog birthday parties here. Like some people bring hats and oh my gosh, it's just a riot. You know, yeah, it's, it's really neat. We have a group of ICU nurses that once every couple of months to just kind of do some self-care and stress relief for themselves, they bring their dogs here and they bring some snacks and they just have like a little party for themselves and their dogs. It's just beautiful. You know, it's just really, it's just really a, a, a fantastic, cool. Um, we're really fortunate to be able to, to offer something like that. Wow, that's really awesome that you have that property and that you're able to come up with so many different ways for dog owners to use it also. I, I love that. That's that's wonderful. That's one of the things I've always loved about your organization. You know, I've, I've followed you guys online since we very first connected back in maybe 2010, 2011 uh, timeframe. And I always think that you do such uh, different and unique and creative type um, events and programming. And I know that you started the Ride to End Dog Fighting, which has been an annual event, right? You have a annual Harley Ride to End Dog Fighting that started after the Missouri 500 experience. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We've had the Ride to End Dog Fighting um, since 2009. So we had our 10 year anniversary of the, of the ride this year and the, the 10 year anniversary of the, um, of the bust. So it's a motorcycle ride. It tends to be a lot of Harleys, but we, we don't discriminate, <laughs> you know, we, really try, we don't discriminate. So there, there have been all, you know, there've been Hondas and Kawasaki's and, and crotch rockets and, and everything, but it does, it does, it has kind of over the years, it, it's primarily a Harley thing. Um, but you know, we're in Milwaukee, which is the home of the Harley. So that makes a lot of sense too. But yeah, it's, it's every June and it's given us a really interesting platform to be able to teach people about the fact that dog fighting is actually something that is still going on and that we need to um, put an end to. And I can't tell you every single year how many people um, are like, man, you know, I, I didn't even know that dog fighting was still a thing, or I didn't even know that, that, you know, people still did that and, and whatnot. And then they come out and, and, and ride and, you know, and, and ride for it. So, um, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely our biggest fundraiser. We, we have a smaller one, um, a smaller fundraiser that we do. Um, we just had at the very end of August and it's called the color crawl and it's a glow in the dark, 
nighttime walk with your dog. So there's a lot of walks and there's a lot of 5Ks and there's a lot of, you know, whatever. So we decided to spin it a little bit and do it after dark. And then all the dogs get glow sticks that like kids get where they make them into like necklaces and bracelets and whatever. So we, the dogs get all that. The people can wear it too, but we encourage them to put it on their dogs. And, um, and then we have like led balloons and, um, face paint and it just, it just is a fun, funny, you know, thing. And then everybody takes this big walk in, you know, the pitch black down a, a very popular street with, you know, all this glow in the dark stuff on. And, and it's cool because people stop. Um, their cars sometimes they're like, what is this? You know? And then people are able to see, and it's a lot of pit bulls cause it's, you know, it's not, um, again, we never discriminate on, on anything that, that we do. Our health clinics are for anybody and, and our walks and our, our fundraisers are for any types of breeds or whatever, but there's probably a good 50 or 60 pit bulls out of, a, you know, a hundred and some dogs that usually walk with us. It's just really great for the public to see, all these dogs, you know, all these people type dogs out just walking down the street with a bunch of weird glowing stuff on them and just being, they're just being dogs, you know, they're just being dogs. So they're, you know, this, they're just, they're just dogs, man. You know, that's all dogs are individuals and they all have their own personality, just like people. And some of them are grumpy and, and some of them are, are, you know, hilarious. And some of them are just the kindest souls ever. And, you know, to each their own, but it's, it's just, I think it's really healthy for people to see all these dogs just coexisting. I so agree. I mean, some people like being around other people and some people don't same with dogs. And I've seen some really cool photos online from the color crawl. I think that's again, just such a unique and creative event. I know it's so hard to photograph, I guess. I am the world's worst photographer, but from what I understand from our photographers is that it's really hard because of the light exposure. It's so hard to like capture good photos and um, it, it looks so cool in person. Like I, I, we maybe we'll try and make a video or something, but it just, it looks so, it just looks so much, um, thank you for saying that you like the pictures, but it just looks so much cooler in person. <laughs> like, you know, they're just, it's really neat. It's a, it's a fun event. It's a really fun, it's a really fun event. We have another really fun event coming up that um, we've been doing um, for about 10 years, which um, is called Pictures, like P-I-T, Pit, Pictures with Santa. And we specialize in photographing the dogs that can't go to the mall. My my dad was was a man that didn't enjoy crowds and really enjoyed very few people, you know, like, and I always think about that when I think about dogs that are like that, because people get really upset when dogs aren't social, like as if they're supposed to all be social or something, and they're all supposed to be able to do stuff. And um, I feel really bad when, when dogs that can't be social are, are discriminated against, you know, my my dad didn't didn't want to go with us to the mall to get our pictures taken with Santa because he didn't like the crowds. And um, there are dogs that, you know, um, they just like to, to kind of hang with a smaller crowd or with a more familiar crowd or whatever. So we specialize this event so that, so that everybody gets a chance to get their picture taken with the big guy. And they don't have to see any other dogs on the way in and they don't have to see any other dogs on the way out. Families are really, are really uh, grateful for that for that opportunity. And I'm really glad that we can, can offer them that that's in November. So that's always a, that's always a fun one. That's great. I love doing the Santa photos event. Uh, Be More Dog usually does those too, although it didn't quite work out for us this year because we actually also like to do it in a space where people have a private area and there aren't other dogs around in case there are dogs who, um, you know, get nervous. In fact, my own dog, Nino, uh, is a very anxious guy and, and is probably the poster boy for having photos taken in a private area versus in the middle of a pet store or something like that. So when we were chatting beforehand, you had told me that your life was changed by Capone and a Craigslist ad. And I know that unfortunately 
our dogs don't live forever and that Capone did pass away a few years ago. And I saw online that you recently got a really gorgeous memorial tattoo of Capone. And I'm going to share pictures of this on my social media for this episode. Oh, thank you. Yes. I'm so biased, but I think it is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. I couldn't be happier with it. And when did Capone pass? He, uh, June 6th of 2014. So he's been gone a little bit over five years. And it just, it just, you know, part of it feels like it was a million years ago. And then part of it feels like it was just not that long ago, you know, and, um, every day, uh, you know, every day I just want to honor his legacy because, um, when he was here, you know, he, he really was, was the leader of the organization and he was really the one that changed the most minds and relieved that fear in so many people. And he did such beautiful work for something furry with four paws, you know, like he really, he really did. And watching him do that was such an honor and such a blessing. And it's cool every time I get to look in the mirror now that he stares back at me. And um, that might sound a little strange to some of your listeners, but it's just a beautiful, it's just such a great way to be able to remember a, why, why, why I do what I do every day, because some days are harder than others. Um, I'm not, going to complain about my job because that would absolutely be ludicrous. But there are days that are really hard and that you just feel like you, you can't, you can't do enough good or help enough dogs or people or, or whatever the task is that day. And I don't know, just to be able to look in the mirror now and see him looking back at me every single time is, is just really comforting. You know, I know that there are a lot of people that, that think that, 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 that shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, think that, that, that their dogs have made huge differences in the world too. And, um, never in a million years would I have thought that my life would be, you know, what it is. And, and, um, and it is, it's all because of, of Capone and a Craigslist ad. That's very, that is very, very true. Everything about the last 11 years has been really because of him, so. It's, it's pretty neat. I love that. I love that story. I do too. <laughs> I do too. Uh, believe me. And, and it never gets old. It never gets old talking about Capone and it never gets, um, you know, thinking about where, where he and I were in 2002 and where everything is now, you know, almost 20 years later, it's, um, it's been a remarkable, a remarkable journey. And, exciting to think about the next 20s. I so agree. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for you. And so tell us, where can people find out more about Brew City Bully Club? We are actively on Facebook. We're, we're very active on Facebook and we're active on Instagram and we're getting better at being active on Instagram. It's We have some really fun stories. We're really getting a lot better at that. Our Instagram stories, I think, are really fun. Um, our website is uh, brewcitybullies, B-U-L-L-I-E-S dot org. And it's going to be a really, really cool website. <laughs> in just a couple of months, you know, um, it's, it's fine right now, but, um, if you go to it, uh, check back, good Lord, please check back at the end of the year because it's going to be remarkable. It's going to be remarkable. We hope that a lot of people, uh, you know, will, will check us out and tell their friends about what we do because the more the merrier, we're always opening up the door to new people for, for joining our family for sure. That's wonderful. I really do love the more the merrier type attitude. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. It's really been fun talking to you. I'm so grateful to Michelle for sharing her story with us today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It's hard to believe that Michelle told me before dogs came into her life, she was someone who was more high maintenance and concerned about having a closet full of purses. It's amazing the effect that these dogs can have on us in learning and growing and evolving as people. 
If you're interested in finding out more about Bruce City Bully Club, I'll put links in the show notes to their website and social media. I know I, for one, would really like to go out and check out the rescue retreat property that she was talking about. The slogan for Bruce City Bully Club is changing minds and saving lives. I was realizing listening to her story just how fortunate I am that I have never experienced a lot of harassment or discrimination about having pit bulldogs. I've certainly never had that experience of people crossing the street because they didn't want to be near my dogs. In fact, I'm usually the one who wants to cross the street because I just want to make sure that our dogs pass at a safe distance. I don't know if it's just that the Baltimore area is generally more pit bull friendly or if people who have a problem with my dogs just tend to keep it to themselves more. Michelle was telling me one story that in 2010, Bruce City Bully Club was going to have a booth at a local community festival called Kiss a Bull, where you would donate a dollar and then get licked by one of their pit bull dogs. And there was actually some outrage in the community about this, and they were told that it was irresponsible. But then fast forward to 2016, and they actually have photos of the town mayor getting kissed by a pit bull. So I'll put that picture uh, up on my social media because I I did find the picture of the mayor getting licked by the dog. And I just thought that was so cool. She's definitely doing great work by changing minds and saving lives in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So please make sure you hop on over to either Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores or on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast so that you can check out these awesome photos uh, that I've been telling you about, including Michelle's beautifully amazing Capone tattoo. It really is just such a gorgeous memorial and tribute to a dog that made such a difference in someone's life and in many lives when you think about how many people Michelle's been able to help because of Capone and his inspiration. And I want to thank everyone who's taken the time to leave either a rating or a review for the Believe in Dog podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, You can always hop on over to your iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and your five-star reviews are number one, so much appreciated, and number two, do so much to help other people find out about the podcast. And if you have a story that you'd like to share, you can shoot me an email at believeindogpodcast at gmail.com, or you can DM me on Instagram or Facebook, and I've been responding to each and every message that I've received. Thank you so much for listening today. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending hugs and belly rubs.